Thanks, Roberta. And uh, stay in Hebrews 1, friends, as we think about the identity of Jesus together. Uh, We're looking at the Apostles' Creed and we're spending today on that line in the Creed that says that I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. In uh, Hebrews chapter 2, just over the page from what uh, Roberta was reading for us, uh, these words are put on Jesus' lips. In chapter, end of verse 11, uh, the writer to the Hebrews says, So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, Jesus says, here am I and the children God has given me. Uh, That is key to our identity, our identity in Christ, which is inextricably linked to Jesus' identity, who he actually is. Uh, In the wonderful book, The Storm-Tossed Family, this is what Russell Moore says, reflecting on these verses. He says, The triumphant Christ, having offered his life as a sacrifice at the cross and having overturned death in his resurrection, is now seated at the right hand of God, announcing, Here I am and the children God has given me. Our identity is found in him. His story is now our story. His bloodline is now our bloodline. His inheritance is now our inheritance. And his family is now our family. If we are in Christ, we have a new father, a new ancestry, a new household bustling like it is today with brothers and sisters. We have a church. The church is here to prepare one another spiritually for the changes that will come with our pilgrimage to Zion. And as we go, that church is a household where all of us use our gifts for the sake of the mission. The fact that every person has a gift for the upbuilding of the rest of us is one more way of God signalling to us that we belong, that we are wanted, that we are loved. Such is the nature of church. And so if we're to think about our identity on a day like today, on an All Saints Together Day, wanting to wrestle with our identity as a church, celebrating and strengthening and expressing the wonderful reality that in Christ we are family, that we are brothers and sisters that his identity is our identity, that his bloodline is our bloodline, that we have this family as part of the whole worldwide family of God's church. If we're going to celebrate that and be strengthened in that and give proper expression to that, then we need to know the Jesus who gathers us, who adopts us into God's family, who is our big brother, who is the one from whom our identity is taken. He is the one that God has given us to. And so we want to know who he is and what he is like. For what we are is only because of who he is and who he is by nature. Who he is in himself only makes more remarkable what it is that he has given us in this family, in this new identity. And so we want to spend this morning thinking about simply the nature of Jesus 
in just a couple of verses from Hebrews chapter 1 that just give us this bouquet, as it were, as one writer has said. It's a bouquet of Jesus' beauty. You know when you get a, a single flower and it's beautiful all on its own, but when you put it in a bouquet, it's not just like you've added up all the beauties of the flowers. You've multiplied the beauty in looking at them, in holding them all together. And the writer to the Hebrews says, here's a bouquet of flowers of the beauty and the greatness of Jesus. Hold them all together and take in, soak in his greatness, his beauty, his supremacy, his sufficiency. And so we just kind of want to stand underneath that waterfall of Jesus' identity and try and open our mouths a little bit and see what we can take in. That's what we want to do this morning. Uh, Have a look with me at Hebrews chapter 1 where we read these words, that in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he's spoken to us by his Son. Who is this Son? the Son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Do you see that great picture that we have, as Mike said this morning at the very beginning, a God who's not distant and who is not silent, but a God who speaks to make himself known, that he spoke uh, to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, the days that you and I live in, the days that Jesus was born into, he has spoken to us by his Son. And here's the thing, that in saying that, the writer isn't simply saying Jesus just continues the speaking of God to his world. He's saying that Jesus is the fulfilment of all that God has said to his world. Jesus is the point of all that God has said about himself. Jesus is the focus and the embodiment of that message. God's announcement to the world that he is king. It doesn't just come to bring the punchline or to add some bits that we maybe have missed. He comes in order to be the revelation of God to his world, the one to whom all of God's promises are directed. And so these verses show us then the greatness of Jesus, the the fullest and the greatest revelation that God can give of himself. So we want to focus on this Jesus, this full and complete and final revelation of God, God's announcement to the world. And why is that so sufficient? Why is it so final? Why is Jesus the greatest and fullest and complete revelation of who God is to the world? Well, it's there because God has appointed him as heir of all things. That's the logical point to start with. Uh, And uh, as one writer, who may or may not be in the room, uh, has said that uh, this bouquet, there's seven things about Jesus' identity uh, that the writer pulls together that we just want to observe and to delight in 
and in joy. The first is that he is the heir of all things. That Jesus is the eternal son. Uh, He is the eternal son, which makes sense of him being the heir of all things because that's what the son does. The son is the heir. The son is the one who will enjoy all the privileges, all the inheritance of the family. And so if you read Psalm 2, which the writer quotes in verse 5, if you read that psalm of sonship and kingship in verse 2, what it is that God says of his son, the king, in Psalm 2, he says God's king, the son, is given the nations as his inheritance, the ends of the earth as his possession. Jesus is the son, he is the king and he is the one who is the heir of all things. He is the heir of the nations, all the peoples of the world and he is the heir of the the ends of the earth. So he inherits the whole of creation, the whole universe, including the people that God will give him. It's a wonderful picture that the rest of the New Testament talks about. Not only is the fact that that Jesus gives you and I an inheritance in heaven that we don't deserve and cannot earn, but that we ourselves are Jesus' inheritance. That when we get come into his, his kingdom in all its fullness in the new creation, what is it that Jesus will be delighting in that is his possession that belongs to him out of all the universe that God has given him Jesus will delight in his people. Those God has given to him as his inheritance. He is the heir of all things. Secondly, he's the one through whom the world was created. Uh, It's this wonderful picture that Jesus, the pre-existent eternal son, is the one through whom God created the universe. Uh, it makes sense that Jesus steps into the world to redeem it because it's his world. He's the one who made it. And as we've already celebrated from Colossians chapter 1, he, he made all things and all things are made through him and for him. For his purposes, for his glory, all things were made. And so as you stretch your mind to the the farthest reaches of the universe, as far as any human technology has enabled us to see, as deep as we've ever been able to dig, as you think about as many species as we've been able to name, as you think about the depths of the ocean, the farthest reaches of space, the beauty of creation, the intricacy of human life and relationships, as you marvel at the world that he made, all of it comes from Jesus and all of it is meant for his glory. And So one of the things that means for us is that as we enjoy his world, the whole point of the beauty of the intricacy of the extraordinary nature of the world that we live in is that we're meant to return that in thanks and praise to him. It 
one of the wonderful things about being uh, the church in Petersham is that we get to enjoy this building, right? But I think we would do those who built this church and those from whom we inherited this church a great disservice in thinking that there was something special about this building in and of itself, right? There's a, people can feel weird about walking in these doors, that feeling like they're coming into some sacred or holy space in and of itself. And thinking that we need to revere the building or we need to revere creation or that we need to treat aspects of this world as if they, they, in, uh, they, they have some kind of spiritual nature in and of themselves. Whereas when we see the beauty of a building like this, when we see the extraordinary beauty of something like Uluru that we've seen so many images of this week, We're not meant to stop and say, isn't that something that's so special in and of itself, but say, wow, isn't Jesus amazing? That he would give us beauty, that he would give us extraordinary objects in this creation to admire his creativity and his goodness. That we might take the beautiful things that he has given us in this world and reflect back to him thankfulness and praise for his goodness and his beauty. Thirdly, he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Isn't that a wonderful picture that Jesus is the, uh, the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being? that when we look at Jesus, we see the glory of God. We don't see some reflected glory. We see the radiance of God's glory. We see what is inherent to God's glory in and of itself. See, the difference between uh, Jesus simply reflecting God's glory and Jesus radiating God's glory is like the difference between the sun and the moon. The moon reflects light. The moon is a beautiful light in the sky, but it doesn't radiate its own light. It reflects the light of the sun, right? Whereas the sun has the the light in and of itself. It radiates light. And that's who Jesus is in relation to God. That when we see Jesus, we see the glory of God himself. He is radiating light the greatness and the glory of God. To see Jesus is to see everything that we need to understand about God. To see Jesus is to see everything that we need to know about how to relate to God, how to know God, how to trust and how to follow him. The glory of God that we see in Jesus is part and parcel of the very glory of God himself. Uh, We've been enjoying some quotes from the 4th century, so here's another one. Uh, This is from Gregory of Nyssa, one of the many Gregs who helped us with the creed. This is what Greg, one of the Gregs said. He said, as the light from the lamp is of the nature of that which sheds the brightness 
So the Son is of the Father, and the Father is never without the Son. For it's impossible that glory should be without radiance, as it's impossible that the lamp should be without brightness. Jesus is the necessary radiance of God's glory, the necessary brightness that shines forth from God in order that we might know God himself. And this is an important thing for the, the, the first century readers of this letter who were tempted like we are in many ways today to think that Jesus was simply either a really, really, really good man or some kind of spiritual being like an angel. And so the writer to the Hebrews, like those writers of the creed, wanted to make crystal clear and uh, concrete for the church that Jesus isn't just a really, really good man or a really spiritual being like an angel, but he is actually the radiance of God's glory. Jesus is God on a pair of legs, which is why you read in verse 8 that God says of Jesus the Son, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness, therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions and anointing, by anointing you, with the oil of joy. He is the radiance of God's glory. Fourth, he is the sustainer of all things. That not only has he made all things by his powerful word, but by that same word Jesus continues to uphold the universe, that he continues to to throne and dethrone kings, that he continues to work, work all that is good, he continues to give peace and joy He continues to sustain all things by his powerful word. Bringing all things to their completed end. That we can say with absolute confidence that he has the whole world in his hands. Which means he has you. He has your circumstances. He has your disappointments. He has your anxiety. He has your children and your grandchildren. He has your diagnosis. He has your financial situation. He has your uncertainty about tomorrow. He has all of your extended family and friends who don't know Jesus. He has the nations that rage He has them in his hands. And so you can trust him utterly with every aspect of your life, with every aspect of your present, with every aspect of your past. You can trust him with every aspect of your future, including your death, including your life that is to come. He holds all things by his powerful word. And inextricably linked to his identity as this all-supreme, all-sufficient, eternal son, 
is the fact that he came to make purification for sins. Inextricably linked to his identity is that he would come to die as we've just sung in that vivid song that by his blood we might have new life, that he might wash all our guilt away, that he might take away every sin and every stain, that he might give life to the full, eternal life, that he makes purification for sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is the perfect high priest whose own death is the full, perfect, complete, once and for all time sacrifice to cleanse us from our sins. That's the sixth thing, that having made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. No priest had ever done that before. Throughout all of the history of God's people, no priest had ever sat down having finished the job. Only Jesus, the perfect high priest, the eternal son, who made that once and for all time sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, could sit down having finished the job as he declared from the cross, it is finished. Flick over with me, would you, to um, Hebrews chapter 10. Sorry if that sounded too demanding. Please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and hear what we read a couple of weeks ago in church. Hebrews 10 verse 11. This is what we read. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again And again he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. It is finished, Jesus cried from the cross. Never again would there be need for a sacrifice. Never again would there be need for a ritual to cleanse you from your sin. But this eternal Son who now sits at God's right hand in heaven, who intercedes for you with the Father, who is the one who gives you forgiveness and cleansing and new life and who speaks in your defence in the throne room of heaven. This Jesus, the perfect high priest. The fact that he has sat down at the right hand of God should remind us this week of all weeks, having celebrated Reformation Day just a couple of days ago, that there is no need for any more sacrifices. That is not an altar. No sacrifices happen there. That is a table of remembrance. That is a table of thanksgiving. That is a table of celebration for the once and for all time sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. 
and the fact that he now sits at the right hand of heaven knowing it is finished should remind you that it is not by the things that you do that his righteousness is given to you. That it is not by any ritual, it is not by walking through these doors, it is not by giving money from your wallet, it is not by doing anything that you can do that your sins are forgiven, but is because of his once and for all time sacrifice on the cross that he now stands and sits in heaven interceding for you with the Father, the perfect high priest who died and was raised and now reigns forever. And so, number seven, the final thing, that he is exalted above the angels. Verse four. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Jesus, exalted above the heavens, ruling from God's right hand, the one and only king of the universe. This is the bouquet of Jesus' greatness that we want to continue to bask in as his people to realise that from this Jesus we are given our identity. We are given our status before God. We are given this family that is around us. We are given the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life. We are given eternal pleasures at his right hand. We are inheritors with him of all things. Isn't that remarkable? that this Jesus would include us in those plans and purposes and that God might, that Jesus might say to his Father in heaven, here am I with all the children that God has given me. And if this is true, then don't we want to shout it from the rooftops and don't we want to pray earnestly and fervently and without ceasing that God would continue to give more and more and more people around us to Jesus in an ever-growing family because of who he is and because of what he's done. Let's pray together. I'm going to spend some time praying, praying a prayer by a guy named Scotty Smith who prayed this prayer reflecting on these verses. Heavenly Father, we thank you for be- thank you for being a God who speaks, a Father who delights to reveal yourself to his children through your word. The Bible is such a gift to us, a trustworthy record of every necessary thing for knowing and loving you worshipping and serving you in this life and in the life to come. In particular, we bless you for how the scriptures will always lead us to Jesus, the central focus, the true hero in your entire word, for every promise you have made finds its yes in Jesus. By Jesus, you created the world. Through Jesus, you sustain all things For Jesus, everything is being kept as an inheritance. 
and through the gospel you have made us, even us, co-heirs with Jesus. What a merciful, kind and generous God you are. Open the eyes of our hearts to see and embrace such a hope. Father, to see Jesus is to see everything we need to understand and to grasp about you. Throughout eternity, Jesus has been one with you in nature and in love, in passion and delight. And so to know Jesus is to rest in the good news that indeed he has the whole world in his hands, upholding the universe, all for our good, all for your glory. Oh, the peace and the joy that this gives us. But, Father, our greatest joy, day in and day out, comes from knowing that Jesus' sacrifice for our sins is complete. Since you have presented Jesus as our righteousness, our holiness and our redemption, you cannot love us more and you'll never love us less. We praise, bless and adore you for so measureless a salvation and so magnificent a saviour. So very amen we pray in Jesus' tender and triumphant name. Amen.